to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So, let's live our best lives, one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi everybody, we are so glad you're here today. Welcome to episode 63 of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm hanging in there. Having a hard day? I am having a hard day. (laughs) I'm sorry. They're just days like that, right? You know how much I love good customer service? Yeah. I equally detest bad customer service. And I've had two bad customer service episodes today. (laughs) Well, today the podcast is going to put you in a really good mood as we talk about real life love stories and share the good news. And you're going to be like so happy. Your endorphins or whatever, all the good things will be so high that you'll be like forgetting about the bad. It's so funny because I told Eric he was leaving to go physical therapy before we started to record. And I said, I'm in a rotten mood and I have to get happy and all lovey-dovey because we're going to record <laughs> about real-life love stories. And he said, well, you should be happy. And I said, why? And he goes, because you live a real-life love story. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> there you go. You know, my husband's kind of corny. Yeah, you didn't corny know that. is nice. That's all right. Nothing He's wrong corny with that. and he tells dad jokes. Well, those are the best jokes. That's the guy I'm married to. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I know all the jokes because, you know, I taught elementary school. So, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Like someone asked for jokes the other day in the community. And I told that one that like, I mean, and, and then people act like they've never heard it before. The one that's like, when you go into the bathroom, you're American. When you come out of the bathroom, you're American. What are you when you're in the bathroom? European. Yeah, European. And and people, I'm like, what? You haven't all heard that a hundred times? Because, of course, I taught elementary school. So, Well, that's an Eric joke. <laughs> right? I love that joke because it's a word play and it's fun. It's clever. <laughs> yes. Eric's jokes are often word plays. Like the time I was at your house and I told him I was freezing and he told me to go stand in the corner. Do you remember that? I can't. What was the reason? What's the joke? I said, what? Go stand in the corner. And he said, yeah, it's always 90 degrees there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I remember now. <laughs> <laughs> See, that is a total elementary school joke. <laughs> Fourth grade where their humor really peaks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had like 14-year-old boy humor. Yeah. And so then I'll tell him something or show him something that I think is hysterical. And then he looks at me like he's an old man and he's like, that's not funny. So then you just (laughs) send it to me and I laugh really hard. I send it to you and Roxy and you guys laugh. Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, keep sending it because I I love anything like that. I love to find humor in the day. Me too. So look, you're smiling and feeling better already. See, I knew as soon as I talked to you, I'd be in a better mood. We're two minutes in, three minutes in. Yeah. Good. (laughs) We need, I had a haircut today, and I had my um, I'm do I, I, a guy that I met 
through a conference that I went to in Arizona. He runs a company that does hair mineral testing. We're going to actually have him on the show after he analyzes our mineral results. But at my hairdresser, she cut chunks out of my hair to do the testing. So I'm sitting here feeling my little weird hair spots in the back. I'm so afraid to do that because the back of my hair keeps growing in kinkier and kinkier. I don't feel like it'll grow in different just because you cut it. I, oh, I'm so worried that it might. But I mean, it's not like she pulled it out by the roots. There's still hair there. It's just really short. Now I'm feeling it. Like I have a little tiny buzz cut in a tiny little part of my head. <laughs> I mean, it's tiny. And then I was worried that I wouldn't be able to put my hair on a ponytail. But then I remembered the hair that's below it will support the hair that's growing out weird. So then I felt better. <laughs> that's the kind of day I've had. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Anyway. <laughs> I didn't want to think that hard. I mean, I have a lot of hair. I don't think you, you do have notice. a lot of hair. You won't miss any. I don't think anybody would notice it, but all right. Well, I'm excited to find out if I'm mineral yeah, deficient. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, we want to send a shout out to two listeners for helping to support the podcast. So thank you, Shauna and Robin, for your contributions to our production costs for the podcast. Yep. Thank you so much, Shauna and Robin. And now it's time for our weekly good news segment. Becky from Wisconsin sent this in, and this was the sweetest. She said, I was looking for a guitar for my daughter for Christmas on Facebook. My daughter has special needs, and she's not going to be able to play it, but she loves music. She would love to just be able to strum it or listen to us strum it. I found someone selling one, and after communicating online, we set up a meeting. She had mentioned that it was going to be too big for a child, so I told her why I was looking for one for my daughter. And when I went to pick it up, the woman I was communicating with was not there, but her daughter and her husband were, and neither of them would take my money. They simply wanted to give it to my daughter and wanted nothing in return. I felt so much joy knowing that there are such giving people in this world. That's a great story. I love that. Yeah, that was really sweet. I would always rather just give something away to someone that could use it also rather than trying to sell it. I mean, I, I don't fault people for trying to sell things, obviously. That's, you know, if you, that's a great way to get money back for something you already had. But I just feel so good giving something away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially to somebody who needs it. I tried to sell some bunk beds that we had for the boys, and the boys are old and out of the house now, and so I didn't need them. They were only about three years old with new mattresses, and I tried to sell them for very cheap. I just really wanted them out of my house, but I thought I would take the money to buy new comforters for the new bed that was going in there. And so many like young single moms would contact me saying they needed it or they had just left an abusive situation and was restarting their life. And I ended up giving it away. I gave away all the linens. I gave away curtains. I just gave it all away. And it just made me feel good to know that somebody was getting use out of it who really needed it. That's how I feel, too. And, you know, beds are often a need. People don't always have beds. I remember when I was a teacher, we would get emails from, like, the social workers for the school system looking for things, and it was very often beds. And it made me think of a student that I had one time who was always falling asleep. And we were talking, you know, you know, what, you know, why are you always falling asleep? He was. This is an elementary kid. Turned out he didn't have a bed. He slept on the floor. Yeah, you know, there's a group here in the county that I live in, and that is what they do. They are not-for-profit, and they go around and they build beds for kids who need beds. 
And there was a family with like six kids and they all were living in an apartment with one bed and they would just kind of pile in the bed and take turns sleeping on the bed. And right before Christmas, they had posted pictures on Facebook that they'd gone in and made them all beds. And they're always asking for volunteers saying, you know, meet us here on this day. Yeah, I think that's a great, a great way to give back to the community. Well, I was lucky early in my teaching career. I say lucky because, I mean, I've worked with kids. We had, I was in Aiken, South Carolina, and our school had kids from really all walks of life, from the country club to the housing projects. We had all the kids, you know, in one school. And I learned from, you know, from the kid who didn't have a bed and was always falling asleep or a little girl who was being abused at home and didn't have her homework. But when you find out why, you know, I learned, gosh, you really can't be angry with these kids who are falling asleep or not having their homework because you don't know what they're going through at home. And so I was grateful that I learned that in my first three years of teaching because I carried those lessons with me all the time. And even, you know, you can't assume it's always, you know, the housing project kids having the problems. It might be the country club kid who has, you know, an abusive situation in their home. But I learned that you you just cannot assume for any kid you know, that they have a good home life or a bed or that they feel safe. Life in general, there was a patient who came in the middle of the night with like severe back pain and she needed to be hospitalized for it. She needed surgery. And in talking to her, they found out that she was told like nine months earlier she needed back surgery, but it gotten to the point where she was debilitated and couldn't walk anymore. And when they got to the, you know, why have you not scheduled this surgery? It's because she's the caretaker for her boyfriend who's paralyzed. And so she didn't know who was going to take care of him if she was recovering from back surgery. And so you just never know what's going on, you know, in people's personal lives. And it's so easy to criticize. You know, like that kid, he always falls asleep. What's wrong with him? Well, he doesn't have a bed, you know, or, you know, why doesn't she ever have her homework? What's wrong with her? Well, you know, she's being abused at her house, right? So it just taught me I'm responsible for what happens at school. And that is it. And my classroom needed to be a safe place where, you know, they did what they needed to do there. And that was all I could expect. And uh, it really helped. So anyway, are we now? That was supposed to be good news. Listeners, we need your stories. We want to hear your good news story. Um, So send it to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. And between now and next time, when you come across people having a hard day, just remember you don't know what they've been through. Yep, that's so true. So before we get to the life lesson this week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that helps make it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And today I'm so excited to share a huge life-changing bedding hack with you. Eric and I were constantly fighting over the sheets and blankets. He hates for the sheets to be tucked in, and I'm a tucker. I love the sheet, like, all tucked up against me. Like, I love it when somebody tucks me in. They tuck all the blankets underneath me like a little kid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I do not like air touching my body while I'm sleeping. I know that's kind of weird. And a top sheet is just never big enough. We are constantly pulling and fighting over the sheet. And Eric just gave up. And he would use the comforter, which drove me nuts because I don't want to have to keep washing a big bulky comforter. 
I considered switching to a duvet and skipping the top sheet, kind of European style, but I've had duvets. They're a pain to wash and put back together. So I recently saw an ad for an oversized muslin blanket that you use in place of a top sheet and blanket. And we are no longer fighting for real estate with a top sheet. And can I just say it's amazing? I can swaddle myself in it. It has plenty of cover. His feet aren't tucked in. So he's happy. I don't have air gapping in. And it's cozy. And uh, I can't even describe it. Somebody asked me if it was scratchy or smooth. And I, it's not scratchy and it's not smooth. It's neither. It's got a little texture to it, but it's soft and cozy. Like kind a nubby, of, nubby kind of, sweatery kind of texture. Do you remember when we used cloth diapers? Yep. So they're very soft, but they're not smooth like a percale sheet. So it's got a thicker weave. It's got Yes, it's got a thicker weave, but it's not scratchy. And what's the name of this company? It's called Muslin Comfort. The best thing about it is 100% breathable muslin cotton. It moderates your body temperature, so no more hot, sweaty nights. It's lightweight. It get warm, it's moisture wicking, hypoallergenic, and resistant to microbes, mites, and allergens. And so for a girl like me with serious dust mite allergies, this is like a huge bonus. It washes really easily and it dries quickly as there's no batting in it. It's simply layers of muslin fabric quilted together. I don't really know how I ever lived without this blanket. It's so cozy. I'm sleeping so much more soundly and I don't have those 3 a.m. hot, sweaty times I go to bed all covered up and super like warm, and then I'd wake up so hot and smothering, I'd have to kick all the blankets off. I just go to sleep with my cover on, and that's it. I'm perfect all night long. So can a life blanket be life-changing? I think so. My husband loves it. We're sold. You can learn more about them by visiting the link in show notes or visiting the Shop With Us tab at lifelessonscommunity.com. And you can use a discount code LIFELESSONS, one word, to save 10%. And once again, it's Muslin Comfort. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I might have to give it a try because we're having sheet struggles too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I posted about in the Facebook community and you'd be surprised how many people are like, what? What's it called? We fight over the streets constantly. So, So now it's time for our life lesson of the week. And this week isn't really a lesson so much. It's just more of a feel-good share. We are going to talk about real-life love stories shared by our community. Many of us love to read or watch a good love story unfold on the big screen. I know I do. Fictional romance is the most sold genre of fiction sold. And I think for many of us, they just provide hope, joy, a reminder that in an often harsh world, love truly exists. I think most of us know that most of these fictional love stories, while entertaining, are pretty far from reality. Pretty Woman, My Best Friend's Wedding, and The Holiday, as much as I love them, aren't real-life love stories. But we do love to watch them over and over again. What we don't celebrate and talk about enough are the real-life love stories around us. And I think these real-life love stories are just as beautiful, if not more so, than these fictional stories. And I also have to point out that love is very much a verb, right? You love someone, but that doesn't mean you're always going to like them. (laughs) Or that every day is the love story. Because some days you're like, just, I need to go in this other room for a while. (laughs) And that, that's the part, you know, you can watch the love stories and read the love, you know, the romance, and it's just not like that every minute. 
No, but I am a sucker for a good love story. That's kind of my go-to-sleep escape as I listen on Audible. And I, I always download some cheesy love story. But it, it for me, it's like a good, like, de-stress and go into this little fantasy little world for a little bit. But even if I'm mad at my husband for whatever reason, he's annoyed me that day, he didn't like what I cooked for dinner or whatever. After I start listening to it, when I go to sleep, I'm like, oh, I love my husband. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're at a wedding and you're sitting at the wedding and you're like, I love you. You (laughs) (laughs) I get it. So tell us, how did you meet Chad? You know, we were so young. I was 20 and he was 19. And I had just graduated from college. And yes, I graduated from college at 20. (laughs) I was super young. I hadn't found a teaching job yet, but I always came to Augusta for the summers and and stayed at my dad's because my parents were divorced. I grew up in Virginia, but I was here for the summer and I got a job waiting tables. First, I got a job waiting tables at this really awful restaurant. I thought it would be good, but the people, for whatever reason, no matter how big the bill was, they left you like a dollar. It was not a very good tipping restaurant. So I was like, okay, this place is not going to work for me. (laughs) (laughs) And so our next door neighbor at my dad's was like, you should go down to this restaurant called At the Levee. It's at the river. I didn't even know how to get back there. But I'm like, all right. So I went down there, applied for a job, got the job waiting tables, and that's where Chad worked. And that's where we met. You know, he was so quiet and shy. I was going to say, who was the pursuer? Well, I guess it was me. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it was me. Anyway, we just ended up, our first kiss was July 4th of 1990. We'd been waiting tables, and then it was, you know, big July 4th with the fireworks and everything, and then maybe it was July 5th by then because (laughs) maybe after midnight. I don't know. But we all went out. We always would go out, all the people that worked, the servers and the bartenders. So we were at this local bar, and I still wasn't even 21. I was still 20. He was 19. But we were playing pool, Mm -hmm. and we had our first kiss. And then we got married a year later on July 7th. He was 20, and I was 21. We were babies. (laughs) Can you imagine if you just had not gone to work at that restaurant? That I know, right? Right. If the other restaurant, if they had been good tippers at that restaurant, but I was like, yeah, I'd waited tables before. I'm like, I cannot, you know, wait tables and get a dollar when the bill's like a hundred bucks, right? So forget it. But (laughs) (laughs) I never would have met him. Things would have been so different. So how about you and Eric? Well, Eric and I met online playing a dice game called Dice with Buddies. And uh, he was an insomniac. I worked night shifts. So I would just sit there and play this dice game in between patients. I never, ever, I don't know if anybody's listening, if you've ever played online games, people are weird. And they, you, if you accept a game from somebody, they're instantly asking you if you have a kick address, which is like, I guess, a messaging app. And as soon as they would ask me that, I would be like, we're done. I would just block them. Or they're asking you to send them dirty pictures. I mean, they are gross online, right? See, I've never played online games with strangers ever. They're gross. So I just. Now I never will. (laughs) I was just like, I don't play with strangers, whatever. So I would just play with my friends. Well, it's one night. And of course, it's like 1.30 in the morning and nobody was awake playing with me and I was bored. 
So I, for whatever reason, accepted a game request from somebody I didn't know. And I'm like, all right, we'll see how this goes. Well, it was Eric. We played for a little bit, and then he sent me a message, and he said, I don't mean to be forward, but you're very beautiful, because I had my profile picture on there, and I said, thank you, and he was, you know, how are you, and he was very respectful in the way he talked to me, but that's the way he is, so we chat a little bit, we played a little bit, and then each night we would chat and play and chat and play, and about three weeks later, One day he sent me a message and he said, do you know you've talked to me for three days and you've never rolled the dice? (laughs) (laughs) And I did not know that. And so he said, do you, would it be easier if I gave you my phone number and you could text me? And I didn't think anything of it because my husband's 10 years younger than me, right? So I was just like, whatever. We were just chatting. I'd been through a bad breakup. He was going through divorce. He had a little baby. I've had kids. So we would just talk about life and kids and marriage and what goes wrong and work and, you know, everything. He said, would you? Would it be easier if I gave you my cell phone number? And I didn't even think about it. I just sent him mine. I didn't even say yes or no. I just said, okay. And I gave him my cell phone number. And so we started texting back and forth. And again, we were just like, chatting, friends, whatever. And then after a little while, he said something about being interested in me, throwing his hat in for me. And I was just like, yeah, whatever, dude, you're a baby. Like, I just totally blew him off. And then a couple months later, he it was getting to be his birthday. And I asked him what he was going to do for his birthday. And he said, I'm going to go out to Colorado and meet this really cool chick I talked to, which was me. (laughs) He had never flown on an airplane no, I mean, he was 30 years old and never been on an airplane. So he got on a plane and came out and visited me. And this crazy girl just was like, all right, sure. And I went and picked him up at the airport. And I, I think I've told you all before, Eric has social anxiety. So between driving to the big city to fly out of Atlanta and then coming into Denver, they lost his bag It was just kind of a mess. He got pulled over on the way to the airport. So his nerves were frazzled, but I had no way of knowing all of this. And I saw him standing by the luggage carousel. I went running up to him and his back was turned to me. And I ran up and I like wrapped my arms around him from behind. And he turned around. I thought he was going to punch me. (laughs) And then he was like so relieved it was me. He just like kissed me full on the lips. And that was that. We were a couple from that moment on. That's very cool. So, yep. And how long before you made the move? About eight weeks. So he stayed with me for about five days. And then about a month later, I came to Alabama and stayed with him for about 10 days. And then I went back to Colorado and turned in my notice and packed my house up and moved here. Awesome. So y'all are 10 years apart. Chad and I are 16 months apart. We are... We're the older women. (laughs) We are nine years and 11 months apart. So, yep, 10 years. And it was real, I have to say, I, you know, I had just turned 40 the year I met him and I was almost 41 and I was feeling, you know, really weird about, I'm in my 40s now. Like that seems to be such a monumental milestone. And here he is, barely 30. And we went out to dinner after I picked him up from the airport. And we were sitting in a barbecue restaurant. 
And I kept looking around. He's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm afraid people think I'm going out to dinner with my son's friend. <laughs> he kept trying to hold my hand. I was like, don't hold my hand. People are going to think I'm weird. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. It took me a long time to get comfortable with our age difference. But yeah, I don't, I don't even think about it now. He's kind of an old man <laughs> for his age. <laughs> he, doesn't, he definitely doesn't seem 10 years younger. You know, because I've seen y'all together, so that's so funny. Well, anyway, age is just a number. Exactly. So let's get into some of our listeners' love stories. Kelly from Calgary, she wrote, My husband and I met in university, and we were really good friends. A few years later, he asked me out, and I said no because I didn't want to ruin the friendship. Life got busy, and we lost touch with each other. Then one night, I was talking with a friend, and we started playing 20 questions, and he asked, what is your biggest regret? And my answer was that a guy had asked me out, and I had said no. And now, I believe that I was supposed to have married him. So my friend told me to find him. I tried to find him, but I couldn't. And then another friend from university mentioned that she saw him at the airport. This friend did not have any contact information for him, but remembered where he worked, so my husband got called into HR at work to receive a message that I was looking to get in contact with him. We got back in touch, and six months later, we were engaged. Less than a year after that, we were married, and January 1st was our 17-year anniversary. The second part of the story is that after we started dating, we realized that I knew his mom. She had a different last name, so I'd never made the connection. His mom told me about her son that went to the same university as me and that she thought we would be good together. That is a great story. I mean, that story literally sounds like like a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although there'd be a lot more of them, like, missing each other in the movie. Like, they would, like— There'd be a lot more misconnections along the way. But, I mean, maybe they did. You know, they could have been in the same place at the same time and not seen each other. Kelly's so brave that she called his company. Yeah, called his I HR. love it. Well, how could they not just be so happy together after that? <laughs> That's great. Thank you for sharing that, Kelly. All right, we have a story from Valeria. And hello, Valeria. I rec- She's in our community. Of course, I mean, everyone's in our community, but I'm not on Facebook, so. She's in our Delay Don't Deny off of Facebook community. She says, I met my husband 11 years ago while I was in the UK for six months. I was taking an English language course there, and he was my classmate. He's from Libya, North Africa. It was love at first sight for him, and it took me only a couple of weeks to fall in love with him. The funny thing is that prior to meeting him, I always used to caution my friends not to rush into relationships. For example, I would tell a dear friend of mine, come on, you just met him a year ago. How can you think of moving into his apartment already? And I ended up moving in with him after only one month. See, Sherry, I love that. That is very, very true. Yeah, Chad and I I mean, I guess there's no stigma. Back in the in 1990, like we moved in together, and I like tried to keep it a secret from my parents. It was back in the day, and I'm like, you know, what? No, I, he doesn't live here. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, my sister and her husband—they've been married for a long, long time. They got married really young, and same thing with them. They knew right away. I actually heard a statistic one time that. Actually, people who date and get together and get married really quickly were more likely to stay together. 
for whatever reason. I mean, I, I mean, of course, obviously, there's going to be exceptions to everything. But I guess if the chemistry is that good that you just know right away, that's a good sign. Well, and I think to do that, you have to have a lot of faith in your relationship from the very beginning, right? So I think when you're all in, you're all in. If you're like, oh, I'm going to date, we're going to see how it goes, and you drag it along and drag it along, maybe you're trying to make it right, and it's not right. Right, right. Exactly. Anyway, I don't know. I just remember that statistic from wherever I read that before. And it just, you know, my dad and my stepmother, they were together very, very, very short time before they got married. And they've been married, you know, ever since. She was his secretary. (laughs) (laughs) And my parents had been divorced a while. So it wasn't like one of those situations. (laughs) Just FYI. (laughs) All right. So to continue with Valeria's story, she says, the thing is, We knew that after a couple of months, we would leave the UK and go back to our countries, so we didn't have any time to lose, and we wanted to take advantage of every minute we could spend together. Long story short, five months after I went back to Italy, he went back to Libya. Loads of tears at the airport. We were both desperate. He eventually came to visit me in Italy just three months after that, and then again one month later. At that point, it was February 8th of 2011 when we went back to Libya. We were planning for me to find a job in Libya and move there. On February 17th, the revolution hit in Libya, and it was a total mess. The company he works for temporarily closed. Everyone was worried about the future. It was difficult to communicate, and I was so anxious. Eventually, in May, he managed to escape and came to Italy, where I was still living with my parents. He stayed at our place until September, when Gaddafi was killed, and apparently everything was going back to normal. It still wasn't safe for me to move there, but he had to go back to work, so he had to say goodbye again, and we didn't know when, where, and how we would see each other again, but we knew we would find a way to stay together. Eventually, in October of the next year, after a full year apart and living our love story only virtually, his company sent him to China for a mission, and I followed him without thinking twice about it. We lived in China for five years, we got married there, and had our first child, our daughter, in May of 2015. In April of 2017, I was pregnant with my son, and his Chinese mission was coming to an end. I've decided to go back to Italy— while I could still safely travel in order to deliver my baby there. In the meantime, he stayed in China until June and then joined me. He was there when I delivered our son in July, and then he went to Libya to restart working there. I joined him in January of the next year, and since then we've been living here in Libya, where in 2019 there was another war. In 2020, the pandemic hit, but no matter all what happened, we've always stuck together. We had tough times, but we made it. Our love has been more powerful than anything else. I didn't go into a lot of details, but we had to face not only wars, revolutions, and being apart, but we also had problems with our families. It was hard for his family to accept the fact that he wanted to marry a foreigner, and the same for my parents to know that I was dating a Muslim man. But eventually, when they got to know me and my parents got to know him, they all calmed down and began to love us, and they lived happily ever after. I love that. <laughs> that story also sounds like a movie, Valeria. Yeah. Oh what my a gosh. beautiful story. Around the world. Yeah. When when it's right, it's right. And you will just be together through war and wow. It makes me realize we haven't been through a lot of hardship at all. Well, it reminds me of something Eric said to me when we were dating. You know, he was here, I was there. I just felt like there were so many obstacles, and I said, I just don't—I need a plan. 
because I'm a planner. And I was like, I don't know. There's so much in the air. I just need a plan. And he said, here's the plan. We stay together no matter what. And I don't know what was so powerful about that to me, but that was like exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So RJ wrote, we grew up across the street from one another. We met in kindergarten. I was extremely shy and mostly afraid of him. He claims to have had a crush on me since high school 40 years ago. We never dated, and we both went our separate ways. We've been friends on Facebook since about 2009, swapping mainly sarcastic comments. We last saw each other at our 30-year reunion in 2010. He was newly divorced, and I was on my second marriage, which I'm now divorced from. He says he came because I talked him into it. I was on the reunion committee, and we reached a lot of alumni through social media. He says I hugged him, but I don't even remember seeing him. January 2020, he responded to a post on Facebook I made promoting my granddaughter's efforts to sell Girl Scout cookies. He messaged me later, letting me know he had contributed. We continued to message one another for weeks when he told me that I was constantly on his mind and that he thought I was the one that got away and that he was in love with me. Our conversations went to text messages, then two times a day phone calls, sometimes for hours. He had moved to Virginia in 2013, and I was in Utah. He flew me out to visit twice between November 2020 and September 2021. My mother passed away in September 2021, so after all that was settled, I decided to join him in Virginia. He flew to Utah the Friday before Thanksgiving, and we left Utah the next Monday and drove across country. I was afraid I didn't have what it takes to maintain a relationship. I've been divorced three times. While it was a very new relationship, in person, I am happier than I've ever been. I finally feel like I've met my person. I feel like I'm home in more ways than one. Oh, that's so, that's powerful. Yeah. It sounds like he's had a little flame for her for years and years and years. Only just since kindergarten. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I mean, all of these sound like they could be, hello, Hollywood producer, we will sell you the rights. We will connect you. They can sell you the rights. We can't sell you the rights that aren't our stories. We will connect you to these people, and they will sell you the rights to their stories. Yeah. (laughs) Any of these would make a great movie. (sighs) All right. Sally from Arizona says, I went to elementary school, junior high, high school, and college with my current husband. We were friends in elementary school and even shared a kiss during a game of truth or dare. We had different friends during the rest of our school years and had no other interaction. While I always remembered him, we didn't have classes together or run into each other. Fast forward to our 30s. Our sons were in the same preschool and we were attending a spring program. We recognized each other and said hello in passing. Both of us were still married to our first spouses. We lived less than five miles from each other and had never crossed paths before. Then, 13 years later, we ran into each other in the pizza section of Costco. We stopped to catch up, and he shared he was going through a divorce. I had been trying to save my marriage for the past three years and was very unhappy. I recall driving away feeling very sad. I was stuck And here was such a nice man that would be back on the market. Deep down, I felt like it was a very important and life-changing coincidence. We exchanged emails and stayed in touch for the next year. Near the end of the year, I reached out while exploring a career change, and we went for lunch. 
He shared about his industry while I discussed my professional interests. As we continued to get to know each other, I was struck by how much we had in common. My husband had addiction issues and was not getting any better. His ex-wife had similar issues. The relationship was only a friendship and never crossed the line, but we had an obvious connection. New Year's Eve had arrived, and my teenage daughter was having a gathering of friends at our house. My ex-husband declared he was attending a 24-hour AA meeting and left our house at 9 p.m. Once again, I was going to be ringing in the New Year alone. As he was leaving, I received a Happy New Year text from my friend. He was also spending the evening with his children. We wished each other well, and the texting was over for the night. When I went to bed that night, I prayed for clarity of my on my life and marriage. I was so tired of feeling alone and trapped. Life was too short to keep replaying the same broken record. Years of marriage therapy and broken promises were taking their toll. Life has to be better than this. Well, God answered my prayers because my husband did not come home that night. I received the sign I needed. He ended up drinking with friends and not returning until New Year's Day. In my heart, I believe we we were brought together at the right time in our lives. We started to date after my divorce was in the works. We continued to rebuild our lives separately and dated for five years before he proposed. We just celebrated our three-year wedding anniversary. On our wedding day, he left me a gift to open. The card he gave me was a thank you card to Costco. You really can find everything at Costco. <laughs> Funny how things work out. I love that. And, you know, this is one case where I can see they were both, you know, ending marriages and they rebuilt their lives separately and dated and took it slow. I think they knew right away, but out of respect for the fact that they weren't in the right place, it was time to wait. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of times when you have, especially young children, that makes timing important. It is. And you really can find everything at Costco. Man, I love Costco. (laughs) was letting Chad get everything for me because he likes to buy stuff. And I'm like, I'm done with that. I'm going to go get my own stuff. So yesterday I went to Costco. I didn't even know how much I needed these throws that I found. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I miss Costco so much. I'm so sad that you don't have it. I know. My mother said something to me the other day about picking something up at Costco. I said, Mom, I don't have a Costco. I said, the whole world wants to tell me what to buy at Costco. I don't have one. It's like 70. I mean, there's one 75 miles away, but... That's an all-day affair. (laughs) Terry in Perth, Australia wrote, I met my now husband of five and a half years back in 2009 on Facebook playing poker. We started as just chatting in the poker room, which evolved to chatting on MSN, to Skype, and then chatted as friends for a number of years, sometimes for 10 hours at a time. I lived in Alberta, Canada, and he lived in Perth, Australia. Then one day we realized that there was something stronger building between us. So we made plans to meet with me traveling to Perth in March 2014. Both our birthdays are in March, only two days apart. It was during this visit that he proposed to me. My husband then came to Canada in July to visit when my mom was getting married. And it was after that that we started the visa process for me to move to Australia. It took over a year for the process to grant the visa that would allow me to move to Australia. I moved with my dog to Australia just in time for Christmas of 2015, which incidentally was six years ago as I write this. We got married April 2016 on the beach. I love it. The internet's really fabulous for bringing people together. I mean, we know that from our community, but... Yeah, well, that's true. You really can make real relationships. Uh Uh-huh. 
if you feel like you've connected with someone online, like with you and me, we knew we, we liked each other and would be friends before we even met in person. You can just tell. You can. Yeah. All right. So we have introvert in the Northeast. My husband and I have been together almost 16 years. I'd recently moved to a new college town and had no friends, no relatives nearby. I was in a busy grad program, but it seemed everyone in my class knew each other, but I was new. Feeling like a third wheel always, I joined Match.com on a whim, which was totally out of character. Turns out I had a very compatible match in my town, and we started chatting. Soon, we realized that our apartments were in adjoining buildings. I don't mean huge New York-style complexes. Mine only had six apartments, but I could see his window from my porch. That is so fun. (laughs) Months of living so close, we'd never seen each other, and I can almost guarantee we never would have had our meet-cute if not for this chance bumping into each other on the internet of all places. Now we've been married over a decade, moved several times, lived internationally, had two beautiful children, all because of a fluke thing. That's so great. I cannot believe they could see each other's apartment. I know. That's so funny. (laughs) That just shows that we don't know our neighbors, I guess. I guess. It took Match.com for her to meet her neighbor. (laughs) I know all of mine. This is the first time we've lived in a neighborhood where we know all of our neighbors. It's such a great little neighborhood. I love that. The neighbors on one side knew me before we moved in. Remember, she was listening to my podcast. (laughs) I love my neighbors. We have great, great neighbors. Well, I actually just went and met some new neighbors yesterday and took the puppy to play. I met a lady on the street a couple weeks ago, and then we kind of connected on Facebook. And so she sent me a message yesterday, and she said, I'm sick with COVID, but my puppy needs to play so bad. Would you be willing to bring your puppy up to play? And so she and she couldn't stand it that we were outside, and she was inside her house alone. So she opened the window and was talking to me <laughs> through the window. But what well, Terry Kadera. She wrote, my husband and I met in Kansas City at Kauffman Stadium. And for anybody who doesn't know, that's the Kansas City Royals Stadium. We had both traveled from out of town with separate groups to attend the Kansas City Royals and St. Louis Cardinals games on Friday and Saturday. I was with my mom and best friend, and my husband, Josh, was there with several of his friends. They were already in their seats when we filed into the row in front of them that Friday night. I didn't notice him or any of his group at that moment, but he says he noticed me right away. A few minutes after we sat down, I asked one of his friends to take our picture. He loves to tell this part of the story, saying he knocked his friends out of the way to grab my camera and get the chance to be our photographer. I always tell the next part of the story. After taking the first picture, Josh asked me to take my sunglasses off so that he could see my eyes. I did, and he took another picture, then asked if I would take a picture with him. I said yes, but I still wonder why I did it. I didn't know this man at all. Why would I want a picture of us together? Josh and I proceeded to talk during the entire game. He was so funny, sweet, and easy to talk to, and he looked at me in just a way I can't really describe, but he definitely made an impression. My friend and I had plans to go to the Power and Light District after the game, which is a super fun area with bars and live music, and Josh and his friends met us there. I'll never forget being on the dance floor and our eyes meeting as he walked in the door of the bar we were in. He immediately came to me on the dance floor, picked me up, and spun me around. We danced all night, and I knew this guy was special. Both groups had tickets to Saturday's game as well, so we saw each other again and talked nonstop during the game. We were both headed home Sunday, and we texted each other during our drive. Back home, we lived about an hour apart. Josh was a single dad raising his two kids, two and four, 
and he cooked dinner for me that following Tuesday, and I got to meet the kids. He told me he was taking them to Disney on Saturday for a week. By that Thursday, he told me he couldn't stand the thought of not seeing me for a week and asked me to come. Because of my work schedule, I could only fly down for a few days, but those days were amazing. Over the next five months, we commuted the hour to see each other several times each week until we could find a home we could share. Almost exactly on the five-month anniversary of us meeting, Josh and his kids moved to St. Charles, Missouri, where I lived with my kids. Looking back on this, I can't believe we moved so fast, but I am so glad we did. Our life together has been nothing short of amazing and full of love. Josh asked me to marry him in 2012 at a St. Louis Cardinals game. We are both diehard Cardinals fans. But we took our wedding back to Kauffman Stadium in KC, and we were married in the seats we met in on May 24th, 2014, almost three years to the day we met. This May will be 11 years since we met, and we will celebrate eight years of marriage. Out of over 40,000 fans in the stadium that day, my soulmate ended up sitting behind me. It hasn't always been unicorns and rainbows as we've blended families and dealt with the craziness life has thrown our way, but our genuine love and respect for each other has always gotten us through. Thank you so much for taking the time to read our story, and I'm sending you ladies some pictures, and she did, and they were so cute. Oh, send them to me. Share them with me, though. Okay, I'll send them to you. I can see them. Sorry, (laughs) listeners. You'll just never know. (laughs) That was absolutely a beautiful story. I love it. And just think, you know, like like with me and Chad and with you and Eric, it it just so easily you could just not have met. Like I could just have gone to a different restaurant and not – we never would have met anyway. And then we wouldn't have our kids. whole life would be different. So different. Like you may not be here with me today. I know. Ditto. I know. It's so funny to think about it like that. You would be in Colorado. (laughs) Yes, I would be. (laughs) I certainly wouldn't be in Alabama. I don't know where I'd be. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way, Georgia just beat Alabama in a bowl game. I know. I'm so excited. Oh, good. You don't like Alabama, right? Well, I don't really like Georgia, but I was rooting for Georgia. Chad likes Georgia. So I was rooting for Georgia. I'll root for anybody but Bama. My college roommate, Melissa, her daughters both go to Alabama, so she's a huge Bama fan. So I was sad for her behalf, but <laughs> I always root for Clemson, which drives my husband crazy. Well, I have to root for Clemson because my granddaddy played for Clemson. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> All right. So Sarah shares after leaving an abusive nine year relationship, my South African friends invited me to visit them for a three week break. It was the first time I'd traveled abroad by myself, so I was really nervous, but I was ready for the freedom and the adventure. I stayed with my friends for two weeks in Durban, and for the final week, we traveled down to Cape Town to stay with some friends of theirs. And that's where I met Greg, as he was their friend's lodger. He had also recently got divorced after just a year of marriage. Maybe that's why we were drawn to each other, because we'd both been in traumatic relationships that had ended, and we were both feeling like free spirits. We spent that week together going to the beach, watching sunsets, staying up late talking, Neither of us had planned on meeting anyone else at the time, but we had an instant connection, and I thought to myself that I'm going to marry this man. How bizarre is that? This all happened in February of 1999, and after that last week in Cape Town, we said our farewells and I returned to the UK. We didn't have social media to keep in touch back then, so we would write letters to each other and email back and forth. Phone calls were by landline and very expensive. I had to take a second job to pay off a 600-pound telephone bill one month. We corresponded with each other for several months until it got to the point where we just wanted to be together. 
In August, Greg decided to hand his notice in at work, and a month later, he arrived in the UK with just a backpack of clothes and a small amount of savings. At the beginning of November, Greg proposed to me nothing romantic and no engagement ring because we couldn't afford it. With Greg's family in South Africa and my parents in Australia at the time, we decided to just elope and got married at Gretna Green in Scotland. We took two friends as witnesses with us, and we traveled to Scotland on the Friday after work. We got married on Saturday, the 27th of November, in a registry office, and then had another ceremony at the Blacksmith's Yard at Gretna Green. It was all very simple and inexpensive. We just wanted to be married. We drove home the following day, and I was back at work on the Monday. Roll on a couple of months, and in January of 2000, I found out I was pregnant, and on the 25th of October 2000, our beautiful daughter, Eloise, was born. When I least expected to meet anyone else at 29 years old, I traveled to the other side of the world and found my soulmate. So look, your soulmate could be behind you at a baseball game or on the other side of the world or waiting tables across the... Ten months later, we were married and had a daughter together the following year. It's madness. We've just celebrated our 22nd year anniversary and are still going strong. This man changed my life, showed me what real love means. He is my everything. I love that. I love it. Me too. I love all of them. And we only have one more. Darn it. Wendy wrote, my husband and I met after we both had been widowed. Our daughters went to school together, and one day we just started to talk at their school. We kept seeing each other every weekend because the girls were in the same classes together and they were friends with the same people. Finally, he asked me out, and I was so scared to go on my first date that I took my youngest daughter with me, who knew him better than I did because she had spent a lot of time at their home. We went on a second date where I went alone. He was such a sweetheart that I fell in love with him. We dated for a few years and then got engaged and married in 2015. I never realized I was going to fall in love again, but I am so happy that I did. That also sounds like a movie. Really, seriously, Hollywood producers, we can connect you with these people and you can write (laughs) a movie about their life. (laughs) They are great. So many wonderful love stories out there. For sharing your story with us. I had so much fun putting this episode together. Yeah, good, good stories. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, I want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that helps make it possible for us to bring you the podcast. On this episode about love, it seems fitting to share about a product that can enhance your love life. On episode 25 and 26 of this podcast, we had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Anna Kabeca about all things menopause, women's sexual health, and libido. Dr. Kabeca has helped develop a cream called Jolva that she uses in her practice that can help rejuvenate your sex life, prevent vaginal atrophy, stop embarrassing urine leaks, and enhance sexual intimacy. Many of our community members have given glowing reviews of this product, and I personally cannot imagine not having it in my daily routine. You can learn more by visiting our special link in show notes or visiting the Shop With Us tab at lifelessonscommunity.com. Did I ever tell the story about how she was at the conference that I went to in October? Have I ever told that on the air? 
Uh, no. Dr. Kobeka was there at the conference. So I got to meet her in person after, like, she'd been on our podcast. She'd been on Intermittent Fasting Stories. I mean, we had we had talked many times, Intermittent Fasting Podcast twice. So I finally got to meet her. But she had, a, like, a in the back, people could, like, put things that you could, like, pick up, like, grab bag stuff. And she <laughs> had, like, a whole story. basket of Jolva back there. <laughs> And they kept announcing from the stage, everyone, make sure to pick up some Jolva. It's like every time I walked by that table, I got another one. (laughs) I mean, there was plenty. Everyone had time to get some, but Jen walked by the grab bag several times. (laughs) Well, you had the inside scoop on it. Other people probably didn't know. They're like, I don't know what that that is is. or why I want it. But that's all right, everyone. More for me. Oh, we love Dr. Quebecca. Anyway, and she's just as delightful in person as you would think she would be. So now we have our um, listener-led lesson. It could be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Sue. She wrote, This is a lesson I learned from someone in my last year of teaching. I had made a mistake on her son's report card. I had cut and pasted part of a comment from another student, and I forgot to fix the name. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. This happens from time to time, and it doesn't mean I wasn't thinking about the correct child, just that there are defined skills, and sometimes I liked the way I wrote them and wanted to use the same comment. (laughs) It had happened a few times in my career. Some parents want it corrected, and I would fix it, print a new copy, have my principal sign it, and send it home. Other parents would wave it off with a don't worry about it. This mother was a super kind woman. When I said, I'm so sorry I got his name wrong, she said, it's okay, I make mistakes sometimes too. We were in a Zoom conference, yes, during COVID, and my eyes welled up. The tension in my stomach just drained away, and I felt so grateful. There was such a difference in her response, even compared to, don't worry about it. Her connection to me as a fellow human being who makes mistakes was, for some reason, huge. I have carried that with me ever since. When someone apologizes to me for something small, I try to add that human connection. For example, when I've had to wait in line for quite a while and the obviously harried cashier says, I'm sorry for the wait, instead of just saying, that's okay, I say, that's okay, you're obviously working super hard to get everyone checked out. When I get slow service at a restaurant and the server apologizes, I say, that's okay, I'm glad you have so many customers because it means you will stay open and we love coming here. It doesn't take much to spread a little sunshine and give someone that extra breath in their day. That's a beautiful lesson, Sue. It really, really is, and tr- so true. I need to be better about that. I'm going to work on that. Well, well, it's, it's life is a process. <laughs> At the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener, and today's submission was shared by Lindy in Australia. This is a piece of prose I wrote after my granddaughter's birthday party. I have four grandchildren. Two of them are both now five, and they are cousins. The birthday girl, G, had a lovely party out in a park. It was great fun. Her cousin, B, the other five-year-old, was recently assessed and diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. During the party, she became overwhelmed by the unusualness of the party in the park and the number of lovely friends and relations who were saying hello to her. It was very hard for me to watch. I wanted to make a statement about B's right to be understood and accepted, cherished even. So I wrote this. I wish I had the words, those two little girls, cousins, both five, both precious, one full of confidence and friendliness and chat. 
the other seeming shy, unfriendly, frightened, cross even. You will find one easy to like and the other you may want to avoid. But know that disability can be so invisible that it can lurk in the prettiest little face, the tenderest family, the gentlest of hearts, the hardest working of developing brains. Don't discount her, disregard her, or scorn her. Watch her, listen to her, observe her, one-on-one with people she knows well. Then notice as her confidence grows and she finds her language, a delightful, loved, and loving soul who, when given space, will open like a blossom and thrive. Lindy, that is just beautiful. I'm going to cry now. I can see that. (laughs) I see it in your face. (laughs) Well, that is beautiful, though, because, again, you know, we, we keep talking about the same thing. We opened with it with, you know, you just never know someone's story. And unlike this, you don't know that, that that little girl has processing issues due to her autism spectrum disorder and all the, you know, the sensory problems that come along with that, you know, just way too much sensory overload. You know, I remember going with Will to see the Wiggles. Remember the Wiggles? <laughs> yes. And he was he had a hard time with a lot of sensory things. And he sat there for the whole first half. He loved the Wiggles, but he kept his eyes covered and his ears covered. And he was then finally he warmed up to it. And but it took him a while. It was just way too much. Yeah. My son Parker was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder. He didn't like the circus. It was like too much going on with too many people and bright lights and he was not a fan of the circus of all things. So, yep. Well, there are a lot of kids in that same situation and they deserve love and care and positivity too. And appreciate their differences. And appreciate yeah. the difference. Absolutely. And they, they deserve you taking that extra time with them. All right, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great episode. Make sure to join our Facebook community. It's called Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We would also love for you to leave a review on iTunes. It helps us reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you want to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>